You can now take KRBN Internet News Talk Radio with you on your mobile phone as we are making it easier to listen to the great hosts here on KRBN, including our very own West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Bozovich. It's free and available on Google Play. Just look for player.fm. That's player.fm and search for KRBN. Live from Lane County, Oregon, it's the Bo's Nose Show with your host, West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Bozovich. And now, here's Jay. afternoon and welcome to another edition of the Bose Nose Show and I'm your host Westland County Commissioner Jay Bozovich and we're coming to you live from beautiful downtown Elmira, Oregon where it's been hailing on and off all day and we're wondering when the locusts are next. Um, so it's been kind of a crazy week hasn't it folks since the last Bose Nose Show and uh, it continues to get crazier. And it's really um, changing the norm. And, and I, you know, had these conversations with uh, Guy Rosenbaum, who's the uh, chair of the Saislaw School District um, today and, and kind of on messenger for the last week or so. And they're kind of referring to um, the reality that was December, you know, pre, pre-COVID-19 really hitting the news and getting, you know, getting any sort of uh, international attention to what is it going to be like in May? You know, what's the reality going to be in May? And we're kind of in that transition period right now. And it's really uh, quite a change for a lot of people. And uh, I just want to give people real quick the call-in number, and then I'm going to get into something that that Guy sent me, which I thought was great. And... um, is useful for folks to kind of understand and also have some compassion for other people. So the call in number, if you want to jump in, talk about um, stages of grief relative to a crisis or anything else on the Bose Nose Show is 646-721-9887. Just press one. So Robin, my call screener and producer extraordinaire knows you want to get in on the conversation. Again, it's 646 646- 721-9887. Just press one. So um, getting back to what Guy sent me is kind of his version of the six stages of grief um, as it relates to this crisis. You know, and everybody knows the, the, the standard six stages, denial, anger, bargaining, fear, depression, and acceptance. Um, but basically, it goes something like this for the COVID-19 crisis. Denial. It's nothing but the flu. Anger. I said it's the flu. Just wash your hands and shut up. Bargaining. I'm taking vitamin D and vitamin C. I'm in my 30s. I'm washing my hands. I'll be fine. Fear. Everything is going to collapse. Get the toilet paper. Depression. There is no hope. We're all going to get it. Acceptance. It is what it is. Now let's work together to help our community. 
So you kind of got those, the, the denial, anger, bargaining, fear, depression, acceptance. And the interesting thing he noted to me is you can be anywhere on that scale and you can move backwards and forwards on it repeatedly. You can get all the way down to step six and jump back to step one again in that in that scale in your in your emotions. Um, what you kind of find though is is if you get through it once, that when you go back on it at all, you don't you're not quite as um, emotionally tied to the to those stages. You may not be as angry. You may not you know bargain as much with yourself. It may be kind of half-hearted. So kind of getting all the way to it. But one of the things you have to realize is people have to go through these kind of with themselves. And, you know, getting mad at somebody because they're still in denial. And if you're not what they personally feel is a trusted source of information, you know, if you're not one of, you know, prior to all this, you're not a trusted source, you're not going to have much impact arguing with them. You're better off, and this is something he, you know, gave me some follow-up communication on, you're better off empathizing with people than arguing with them and trying to convince them and get them past some of these stages. You know, yeah, I, you know, I was that way at first too. I thought it was nothing but the flu. You know, and and just, you know, and validate that they're in that stage. Um, and, And, Believe it or not, that'll actually help them move faster than it's not the flu. Haven't you seen the mortality statistics and the fact that it's more contagious and 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 how it's going to overwhelm ICU capacity and all that stuff? Somebody that's hard on in denial, that, and if you're not their trusted source of information, that just is noise. They want to kind of have that feeling of denial validated for a little while before they can move on to anger, bargaining, and all that stuff. What we hope to do is get people through this to acceptance because we all need to work together to help our community. You know, once we've kind of accepted that there is a crisis out there, you know, that gets us to this point of, um, you know, really understanding that, you know, the magnitude of the crisis we're in, what it might take to resolve this. It'll also allow us to to, you know, deal with the social distancing, deal with having to wash your hands, um, deal with some of the issues we're having a little bit better once you get down to that acceptance level. So, um, you know, that I'm going to post up um, Guy's letter. He actually wrote this to the rest of his board members that I'll I'll put in there. And I'll probably also post a link uh, at least to this one um, article called adjustment <coughs> excuse me <coughs> cover cough um adjustment reactions the teachable moment in crisis communication one of the things it talks about is a lot of the reactions people have like going into denial or buying toilet paper are almost built-in automatic reactions for human beings you know, the first thing you do is you kind of pause and sort of go into a little bit of a freeze. And then you, you might stop doing some things, you know, that you feel are dangerous. <clears throat> Think about after 
there were people that wouldn't go into a skyscraper for quite a while. When they discovered mad cow, you know, there was a while there when people stopped eating beef. Um, it's just a, it's a natural human reaction. People, the other thing they'll do is they become hypervigilant. And, you know, how much more have you watched the news since you started hearing about COVID-19 or coronavirus? Are you consuming more news than you used to consume? You know, that's part of what gets you even kind of helps magnify some of what goes on um, emotionally in people. Then you start to personalize the risk. And, and that, you know, basically start imagining, you know, what it would be like if me or a family member got this disease or if we had to go into, into permanent quarantine or what if they shut down, you know, and I can't leave my house. Do I have enough food and all that stuff? And that's when you jump into taking extra precautions. And that's when people buy toilet paper and go running to Costco and buy everything up that they can possibly buy because they've gone through this, you know, pause, change their behavior, stop doing some things, hypervigilant, overwatch the news, start personalizing this, and then react. And it's a very natural thing for humans to go through. So kind of, you know, getting back to rather than, you know, being critical of the person that buys the toilet paper, kind of empathize with them because they got to get through some of this before they can get to the point where they're going to be rational and take rational actions. Um, so we kind of have to understand that this is an unprecedented event in the world, in our country, in modern times, in times where we have radio, TV, and the internet, Facebook, and everything else to magnify the message and, and really overwhelm you with that when you hit the hypervigilant stage of this, you know, and people are going to jump into those stages of grief. And, and there's, you know, all, I've seen some articles about there's other types of grief. There's even anticipatory grief that people get into. Very similar to what somebody, if a family member gets a terminal cancer diagnosis or something like that, that anticipatory grief. Um, so we have to have a little bit of compassion with our fellow human beings at this time. And sometimes it's kind of difficult because some of us, um, you know, have, have got better access to information. You know, like myself, I've got public health people telling me information. You know, I have to admit, I was in denial when I first heard about this. I was kind of like, at China, there, I've been, in, I've been to rural China. I've actually traveled in rural China, not recently, several years back, but I've seen the open air markets and understand how they, they can breed disease. But I've also seen their medical facilities, which are basically almost non-existent and um, not up to first world standards, particularly when you get anywhere outside of Beijing and Shanghai or Chongqing, you know, some of the major cities. Um, so I was, I was kind of thinking, eh, it's not really as deadly because if we get, gets into the first world, we're going to have much better uh, medical care and the mortality rate will drop way down just like the flu will. And it's really, you know, and, it, and we won't pass it around because we're not as crowded as China. 
you know, I had all that in my mind. And at first was kind of, um, you know, trying to put in perspective just how few deaths had actually happened, how few cases has actually been reported. But, you know, then there's the other side of the story that, you know, we can't even trust the numbers coming out of China were even accurate. Um, but once it kind of got started getting out of China into other countries and some better data was coming from China, and I started talking with our public health professionals and other professionals and doing some research about this, I was able to take myself from denial to acceptance pretty quickly. Um, part of you know my personality traits as being an engineer, I, I gather data and make judgments, but from that data fairly quickly. Uh, it's just, it's part of the engineer brain. Um, so I got there quickly and was frustrated with people that had, you know, how could you not see what I saw and, and, and still be in the denial phase? And, and that's kind of guy saw me struggling with people like that in some of the Facebook back and forth. And he's like, eh, you, you need to understand. I sent this letter to my fellow board members. I want to send it to you along with a link to this article. And it kind of opened my eyes up a little bit that I need to be a little bit more patient with everybody and, you know, acknowledge the fact for some people that it's easy to, to be in that first stage and deny that this is really anything much more than a flu. I mean, we even heard Rush Limbaugh there for a short while um, was you know, talking about how, you know, we didn't hear the same things about swine flu and H1N1 back in 2009, well, that flu had a mortality rate of, you know, that was basically um, 10 times less than this disease. And this disease actually is somewhere between 10 and 50 times more deadly, higher mortality rate um, than that flu was. So that's why there's a difference. That there's also uh, at least the initial look at this is it's more has a higher transmission rate. So it makes it a lot more scary uh, for those of us that are starting to understand really what's at risk and looking at where the numbers could go. Because what you saw and were seeing in a lot of countries was an exponential growth rate in the number of cases. And, you know, it's hard to understand exponential growth sometimes. Other than you think about, you know, you have one of something and then you have two of it, then you have four of it. You know, if you're talking about an exponential growth rate of doubling every every time, every time period to eight to 16, you know, to, you know, 32 to 64 to 128. And pretty soon you get into huge numbers, but it takes a while for that to grow. But when you finally realize you're in trouble. It's growing so fast up that curve that you can't stop it. And what we're trying to do is prevent that exponential growth with the social distancing and some of the steps we're taking, all the sanitizing people are doing and the hand washing. I applaud everybody that's doing that. I really have to applaud the people that are still going to work because they have to all the doctors and nurses and medical professionals, even the folks in the finance departments at hospitals and stuff that have to keep paying those people. You know, somebody doesn't write the paychecks, they're not gonna keep coming to work. Um, all, of the, 
all the folks that are still going to work, the first providers, uh, all of them. You know, that's really, um, really important for folks uh, that we, you know, recognize those folks that are that are risking their own health right now, uh, you know, just to keep things moving along. You know, I'm very fortunate. I've been able to work remotely as a commissioner very well. In fact, at three o'clock this afternoon, I was attending a Homes for Good board meeting, and uh, we were talking about a developing a memorandum of understanding and approving that for our uh, union that that staffs all of those uh, affordable housing complexes and uh, the Section Eight voucher system here in Lane County um, and how we're dealing with employees and trying to get them to work remotely from home and how we're trying to, uh, uh, you know, if people don't have the option to work remotely and they have been quarantined, will they continue to be paid? How that pay will happen? Uh, is it changed um, if they're sent home by the agency versus being medically required to, to um, quarantine themselves. So it, it, we had to get all that laid out on paper and get it approved. And it was a quick emergency meeting, but it was done with, you know, on, you know, on the internet, we're all seeing each other's faces, you know, from our, our computers like this. Um, and we're able to hold a meeting and vote and approve that, that order approving that memorandum of understanding with the union. So we can keep the, those affordable housing complexes up and operating. Because there's a lot of, you know, very vulnerable people, you know, trying to stay home and stay healthy in that housing. Um, so, you know, I'm able to continue to do my job. Um, my wife's uh, business has been able to keep going because uh, it's basically was all remote work to start with in the first place. And her office is very big and very separated. Uh, one of our employees has chosen to. Um, stay home, stay healthy, because his wife is um, has multiple medical issues and is one of those vulnerable people, and he's really being overly cautious on her behalf. Um, so I've actually been kind of serving dual duty and doing some of his work uh, when I have time, and I'm not doing commissioner work. So my days have gotten really long uh, during this thing. Um, but I haven't left the property other than to go to the post office to pick up the stuff out of the PO box and drop off mail, uh, of which I immediately wash my hands and all that good stuff. But that's where we are today uh, with being a commissioner. It seems that it's one of the few jobs you can do pretty well remotely um, with Chair Buck kind of handling some of the in-person work of doing press conferences, et cetera. But even those are being done virtually to a certain extent. So. I believe uh, we have a guest coming on, and uh, we have the executive director for the Pearl Buck um, Center here with Margaret is here with me. And uh, Margaret, I think you want to talk a little bit about um, how this crisis is affecting Pearl Buck, but you also have a real opportunity for the community to help out that you, I think you want to reach out through our show and talk about. So. Tell us a little bit about what's happening at Pearl Buck. Yeah, Commissioner, thank you very much. We appreciate the opportunity to share with you some of what our experience is. You know, I think first and foremost, we have a great deal of 
confidence in our ability to turn on a dime and to be nimble and be able to be responsive to our clients. As of two weeks ago, over this period of time, we've had 65 of our clients that were in a community business working uh, laid off from their positions. We've had another 80 uh, clients who used to come to our center on a daily basis, no longer able to come to our center. So we're doing outreach to all of them, of course. And then we had 17 interns at Peace Health Hospital uh, as of a couple of weeks ago were asked to no longer come uh, until things have settled down. So this has been an enormous impact to our clients. And then of course, because we provide a fee for service, there was an immediate uh, impact to our financial picture. So we began layoffs and as of today, uh, we have 54 employees and two weeks ago uh, we had 134. So we've laid off 80 people and are very concerned about the ripple effect of their loss of wages and the impact to them. In addition to that, we've had uh, 22 of our staff have a reduction in hours or a de facto pay cut, uh, particularly at the upper management level. Uh, we've had that experience. So we are attempting to do some aggressive outreach uh, to get some support from the community. And we, we certainly want to acknowledge and recognize uh, first and foremost, the first responders of our community, uh, our schools who are now pivoting to doing childcare, our community services, nonprofit organizations, our government entities, and certainly our businesses. And one business I really want to highlight is Yellow Emperor. They've been a partner of ours for a period of time and uh, very generously offered to do a $10,000 match. So we do have published on our Facebook page for Pearl Buck Center, a $10,000 match uh, that Yellow Emperor is doing. They also were just amazing last week because we do have uh, the designation as healthcare providers for our clients, uh, the need to be prepared with all the per personal protective equipment and Yellow Emperor donated uh, 100 bottles of four ounce san hand sanitizer so we could have that as part of the uh, safety equipment that we're putting together to bring into the homes of our families uh, and the clients that we've been supporting through the year. So very proud of the rise up in our community overall. Certainly want to acknowledge Yellow Emperor in particular. The community partnerships here in Lane County, I think, are extraordinary. Yeah, and I just, Margaret, I want to back up one second because you've referred to your clients a few times. Not everybody knows that Pearl Buck is dealing with um, developmentally uh, disabled, et cetera. Can you kind of explain who your clientele is and what Pearl Buck does in the in a normal uh, what I call the the December you know before before this whole thing back in December what did Pearl Buck do? Sure. So since 1953, we've been providing a variety of supports for people with intellectual and developmental disabilities. And actually, our start was with a, pre with a school for special education students, because in the 50s, of course, we did not have public education for special ed students. So as that became uh, available in the United States with public law change, then the organization migrated to also providing services to people after they left school. So we have had a variety of programs to respond to the adult population. 
So at this uh, point in time, at least until two weeks ago, we have six major programs that we operate. Most of them are for people that are adults with intellectual or developmental disabilities in a variety of ways. We support them in finding and keeping work, being effective on a job, being able to navigate any kind of community system, be it transportation or simple things like getting groceries and counting money. And we also have a preschool, which of course at this point in time is closed, uh, but the preschool is for young children who have a parent, at least one of their parents went through special education, and typically the families have quite a few complicated needs. So we have six uh, programs that we typically are operating, and in effect right now, four of them are closed. Yeah, just because I, I wanted people to understand when you were talking about your clients that were being laid off, um, who we were talking about out there, and your interns that were laid off or sent home from the hospital, um, and then they end up in the home situation uh, without any socialization, and and you guys are having to make home visits instead, um, and that's why the need for the PPE and and the sanitizer and everything else. So um, you guys have really had to make some major changes in your operation, um, which actually started, you know, a couple years back as, as the, the changes in closed workshops affected your business too. But um, I really want to encourage folks to go to the Pearl Buck on Facebook. Is, is that the best place yeah. to find the way to donate? And, uh, yeah. you know, Pretty, you know, pearl spelt just like the, you know, pearl from an oyster, buck as in, you know, as in a male deer. Uh, uh, so pearl buck. <laughs> That's a good way to say it in Lane County. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People get that in, in Lane County in Pennsylvania. Um, <laughs> so, so um, yeah, you know, and take this opportunity to get, you know, $2.00 donated for every dollar, you know, a dollar, you know, get, get that match coming from, um, uh, yeah, I'm going to mess, mess up the name yellow Imperial. Is that the yellow business? emperor? Yellow, yellow emperor. emperor. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Which, yeah. Speaking of traveling in China, I actually went to, uh, yeah, uh, yellow emperor's, um, uh, shrine. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Um, so, uh, anything else you want to tell the public, uh, other than uh, this opportunity to help Pearl Buck, uh, try and get past this, this crisis? Yeah, I appreciate that. I think the most important thing any of us can do is be well and stay well and make sure those that we have, uh, close relationships with or people that we may not have a close relationship with, but we support them in being healthy and being well. And uh, you know, as I was talking before you came on about, you know, people going through the various stages of grief as they're dealing with this, um, be empathetic to people if they're, if they're not where Absolutely. you are. So really Absolutely. appreciate it and, and letting us know about that opportunity to help Pearl Buck. You're welcome. And thank you very much. We appreciate it. And thank you for all your work. All right. Thank you, Margaret. Thank you for everything you do. Mm -hmm. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So that's 
just a reminder again, if you go to Pearl Buck on Facebook, um, you can get on there and find how to donate to help get that $10,000 match fully funded there um, on, on the Pearl Buck Facebook page. And we, we've talked a bit about, um, you know, the stages of grief and a little bit about Pearl Buck. And you, you know, there's so many places you know, where you think about some of these vulnerable populations that nonprofits were helping leading into this, that this whole crisis is so complicated for them. You know, it's not just the developmentally and intellectually um, um, uh, challenged folks that, that, that are out there dealing with this. You know, think about um, even the folks that are going through trying to get over um, addiction. And they may have been halfway into getting through, uh, you know, to you know, to their first year of sobriety or something like that, and now they can't have meetings, you know, and they're having to do, you know, meetings virtually if they're able to, um, and just, you know, so how how's it impacting, you know, folks like Lamet uh, Family Services and, um, you know, just all these various emergence and other addiction treatment folks, you know, so there's a lot of nonprofits out there that, you know, we all talk about the business impact, you know, the bars and restaurants that have had to close and lay people off the lack of people, you know, in hotels, um, you know, the obvious things you see now that now it's also the hair salons and everybody else that's having to close their doors. The nonprofits are taking just as big an impact, if not worse in some ways, uh, than some of the, the businesses. So if you still got the, the capacity and the ability to help some of these nonprofits out um, through some pretty tough financial times, or, you know, if you're able to volunteer and help out in some way, uh, just think about that. You know, if there's a nonprofit you've been associated with previously, um, it's part of getting to that step six, acceptance. It is what it is. Now, what can I do to help my community? And what can we all do to help our community? And helping the nonprofits out there, like Pearl Buck, either financially or, you know, with a gift of some kind of, of supplies, um, you know, those are things we can do uh, to try and help those folks through. Uh, understanding that there are people struggling because those services they may, may have been depending on aren't there. You know, um, the the addict that is now not got as much support as they have might need support from a friend over the telephone more than you know. You know, so th this is really a time for us to start getting back to the Ma Bell days and reaching out and touching somebody. You know, a telephone call to a friend right now, you know, one of the interesting things I'm having to do is answer phones at my wife's business. And I've had a couple calls where people were calling to check to see when their subscription expired. When it kind of says that right on the, the, the magazine label, the expiration you know, date of your subscriptions. Uh, <laughs> so it's pretty easy if they, if they have one of our ma magazines in their house, they can look it up pretty easily themselves. But I think some of these people are just calling because they want to talk to somebody. They're missing that social interaction. And um, we need to think about, 
you know, that's just one small thing you can do. Won't cost you anything if you've got, you know, unlimited uh, time on your cell phone. Uh, most landlines won't charge you by the minute. So, you know, reach out to a friend you haven't talked to in a while. Ask them how they're doing, how they're dealing with this. You know, give them a chance to, to air. You know, kind of find out where they are. Are they, they still back in denial or are they somewhere in the bargaining phase? You know, you know give, them a, give, them, give them somebody that they can empathize with. You know, and, and, you know, it's good for you too. You know, it's good for us individually to have those conversations. Makes me feel good when I talk to, you know, the, the, the little old lady in Arizona that, that whose magazine didn't expire for almost a whole nother year <laughs> and was calling to find the expiration date and, uh, and, and was obviously just calling to have somebody to talk to. And, you know, after I, you know, you know, thanked her for calling and told her goodbye and she thanked me and all that stuff and I hung up the phone, you know, I felt good <laughs> for having had that conversation with her. And we need we need to do that, everybody. You know, reach out, particularly reach out to some if you have a a friend or relative or even a you know chance acquaintance that is currently in a senior care facility or some kind of nursing facility or, you know, um those places shut down visitation first, you know, before we got these stay home orders from the governor and stuff like that. They've been staying in those facilities with extremely limited visitation for weeks now. A phone call from, a, from you know, a nephew or a grandson or a chance acquaintance who, who met them, you know, at one point will mean a whole lot and, and really, you know, change their day for them. Get them, you know, a lot of those folks, and I know this from talking to my father-in-law, are in that phase where they are hyper vigilant and focused on the news. My father-in-law has been watching, you know, the news almost nonstop. You know, he's, he's you know, he's not on the Computers, at least he isn't being exposed to Facebook and everything else. But, you know, he's watching TV news 24-7, basically. And what's TV news 24-7 right now? It's COVID all day, all all night. And, you know, he's, he's worried about everybody else. And I think, personally, he's a little scared because what do they keep talking about constantly? Every time you hear about COVID, it's impacting the elderly the most. And it's impacting people with pre-existing medical conditions of some kind or, some, you know, complicating medical conditions, however they want to word it. Well, what do you think a 95-year-old World War II veteran is? <laughs> if he doesn't, if he's gotten to 95 and doesn't have some kind of pre-existing conditions, it's pretty surprising, you know. And, and uh, you know, he does have heart issues. You know, he, he has had other issues, you know, with his health. You know, so he, you know, he's personally scared. He wouldn't tell you that, I'm pretty sure, but you can pretty well guess that's keeping him up at night because he's doing that one part where he's, you know, starting to personalize this. You know, if it's not him, he's thinking about getting it. It's all of his children and and grandchildren and, you know, even great-grandchildren at this point you know, that he's probably worrying about. 
So if you've got the opportunity to reach out and touch someone, um, take it. You know, uh, so I want to remind folks again, uh, we do talk about whatever you want to talk about on the Bo's Nose Show. Uh, as your host here, Jay Bozovich, Westland County Commissioner, I invite you to call us at 646-721-9887 and just press one to get in on the conversation here on the Bo's Nose Show. Again, that's 646-721-9887. Just press one because I've got a topic coming up here that I'm curious what you think about. You know, as we're talking about what does May look like after we come out of uh, trying to flatten the curve and we're starting to try and get back to some normalcy, you know, there's not enough testing capability in the U.S. that even can come online over the next 30 days that's going to make it so we know every person that has the coronavirus has been identified and isolated. So there's going to be a certain amount of population that still has, might be walking out, you know, um, before they actually get real sick or they might not feel that sick. Um, so how do we, you know, prevent having to jump back into a lockdown because we start seeing the ramp up of cases and um, exponential growth of cases again? And one of the things they're talking about is basically starting to scan at things like, you know, grocery store entrances, you know, courthouse entrances, you know, besides going through the, the metal detector, they're going to take you know, an infrared scanner, or one of those, you know, forehead touch scanners or an ear scanner or something like that and take your temperature. And if your temperature is elevated, they're going to refuse your entrance and ask you to go home. What do you think of that? You know, are you willing to, to kind of wait in your six foot apart line on your on your little piece of tape there and when you get up to the front of the line you know let somebody with their gloves and a, and, a, and a face mask on you know stick something in your ear and say oh you're 101 you have to go you can't go in the store or you can't go in the courthouse you need to go home and and, and contact us uh, by phone, um, and we'll reschedule. You know, we'll try and work out or, you know, remotely whatever your issue was. Um, can you ask somebody else to go and purchase your groceries for you? Um, that sort of thing. Um, but you know, I think before we get to that stage, we have to have that answer for people. You know, if you do get somebody that has one on one, what are we going to tell them? You know, if it's a grocery store and we're sending them away from the grocery store, is there? A, a number they can call to get on a list to have people shop for them and, and deliver their groceries. Uh, is that service going to be available? You know, if it's a courthouse, do we have enough um, virtual ability to work with those people? You know, if they do have 101 and they go, oh, I need to get a coronavirus test. Do we have the capacity to test even those people that were turning away from the courthouse and the grocery store or the hospital? entrance, you know, the, you know, the visit, visitor's entrance at the hospital. Um, you know, that that's going to be the second question they ask is, oh, you know, I can't do what I wanted to do. How do I do that? And how do I get a coronavirus test? And I, you know, at this point in time, I can't answer that question. Maybe 30 days out from now, I'll be able to answer that question. But what do you think? Would you be willing to submit to a temperature scan? to get in to do your grocery shopping, 
Would you be willing to submit to a temperature scan to get into a, a, a critical building where we're trying to protect the employees from, from this so we can keep the function of whatever that is, whether it's the court system, um, you know, it's, you know, the sheriff's office because, you know, we don't want all of our sheriff's deputies getting sick. Yeah, they're getting exposed enough as it is out on the street. You know, we're having to protect them out there. Um, you know, what, how much intrusion are you willing to sacrifice to get back to at least partway normal? You know, what are we going to look like in May? You know, give us a call here at the, at the Bo's Nose Show, 646-721-9887. Again, just press 1 to get in on the conversation. Um, would you be willing to get your temperature scan to go to the grocery store, uh, you know, to, to, to get into your doctor's office? You know, in fact, you know, there's somewhat doing that now, but it, it would, you know, if it, what if it was widespread? And that's one of the ways we keep from having the second, you know, hump in, in the, in the, in the curve, you know, you know, how do we prevent not being a camel, you know, or even a sine wave where we, we have a little bit of an outbreak. We declare, tell everybody to stay at home. We start letting them out. We get an outbreak again. We got to tell everybody to stay at home. You know, what's that going to do to our economy too? If it's, we're bouncing back and forth, you know, somehow or another, we got to get past this, you know, flattening the curve, have an ability to try and start getting back to something of normalcy without spiking the curve again. Because that's just going to force us to go into lockdown even tighter. So, <clears throat> what are you willing to accept to prevent that bounce back in, in the in the epidemic? You know, it, and understanding, you know, we're constitutional government. You know, both state and and federal local governments here in Oregon are are subdivisions of the state and are under the state constitution. And you have certain First Amendment rights to um, assemble <laughs> you know how long can we suspend some of these constitutional rights uh, based on a health crisis uh, and do we even have the ability you know no one's challenged in court at least that i know of yet some of these uh, mandates to have no more than two people together right now basically they don't even want you to have two unrelated people within six feet of each other Excuse me, trying to fight that yawn. I lost the battle. <laughs> like I said, been some long days here trying to do double duty uh, as a commissioner and as a, at helping out with my wife's business so we can keep at least some of our employees employed and paychecks running out and, uh, you know, hopefully keep a, a magazine going into homes that entertains people for several hours and makes their time staying at home and staying healthy. Um, uh, okay. You know, also if you want to call in at, uh, to the show here at 646-721-9887, talk about the governor's uh, order that came out on Monday. You know, are you in one of those businesses she named? I mean, they, they were, there was a very specific list she put out there, you know, amusement parks, tattoo parlors, you know, yoga studios, you know, uh, you know, hair salons, basically. So, you know, there, there, there's a, a pretty very specific list. Are, you know, are, are you one of those people that now suddenly find yourself unemployed? You know, and, and, you know, do you think that 
order was correct? Do you think it was an overreaction? Do you think it was not enough? Um, you know, I'm hearing both sides of that. I'm hearing people that think that, you know, all of this is an overreaction. Step one, denial. <laughs> or I'm hearing people that you know, are really, you know, still in the step four fear phase that think that, you know, we're not doing enough right now. So, uh, you know, where are you in that scale? Are you still in denial? Are you are you bargaining with yourself, or have you accepted this? Um, you know, do you think the governor is doing enough, providing enough leadership in the state? Um, you know, looking for your reactions here to this whole thing. And if you want to call in and talk about something completely different, I'd love that because we, you know, sometimes we're going all COVID all day long. Like I said, we're, we're, we're getting hyper-vigilant and over-focusing on the news. You know, we can talk about something other than COVID-19 on the Bose Nose Show. You know, we can talk about um, road safety or, uh, <laughs> you know, some other function of, of government, if you want. We can talk about, you know, standard poodles or you know, the cat that keeps jumping in and out of my lap during the show. Do you mind if I jump in? Not at all, Robin. Yeah, something that I wanted to kind of address, you know, when you're talking about the fear factor, is uh, Springfield Police on their Facebook page, and I'm sure others have too, because I don't follow that many. Um, the intention for people not socializing or the social distance thing. So uh, the intention is good, but they're, they're throwing the fear factor out, making it seem like if you are traveling at all, we're going to pull you over and get, well, first of all, do the education. And then we're going to, if it's repeated, they're going to cite you. And I think part of the thing that's a misunderstanding and all that, and I'm, I got a copy of the, uh, of the order in front of me is that it doesn't say you can't travel. No, no, not at all. Um, yeah. It does ask people to stay local if they can. Right. But it does not prohibit travel because that would constitutional muster, probably. Exactly. Uh, I, th I think the governor was walking a fine line between trying to, to do what she has the power to do, which she does have the power to regulate um, business, um, particularly businesses that are licensed and, and has some some functionality to be able to shut a business down, but she doesn't have the ability to stop people from traveling. Exactly. In but fact, she can't uh, ask people not to. Um, yeah. And in fact, I saw a FAQ that came out by the Oregon state police. I could probably dig up and, and they basically are telling people we're not going to be pulling people over and checking to see if they've got, you know, something from their employer that says they're critical staff and all that stuff. You don't need to carry paperwork with you from your employer. Um, <laughs> it's, it, you know, it's, it was really interesting because I would never have thought of, you know, people even being concerned about that, but people are misinterpreting some of what the governor's order actually has in it. And, you know, this is not, we haven't gotten to Nazi Germany during wartime where you have to have your papers with you at all times. And your papers have to specifically say that you're allowed to travel from city A to city B, you know. And FEMA has come right out and said this is not martial law. So I yeah. know a lot of people are afraid of that. But 
uh, to quote here, um, individuals may go outside for outside recre- recreational activities such as walking, hiking, etc., but must limit those activities to non-contact and are pro- prohibited from engaging in outdoor activities where it is not possible to maintain appropriate social distancing six feet or more between individuals. And I think part of the reason for this is because of what happened, what, last week, and I think you talked about this on last week's show, about people taking this as an extended vacation, going to the beaches and... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was trying to look back. Oh, there it is. Here's the OSP fact sheet. Um, Maybe I can even put that up, send that to you. Robin, you can put it up on the Facebook page or something like that, but it's a PDF, which is always hard to put up there. You know, the first question is, is this martial law? No, not even close. <laughs> there are no curfews, and a person's movements are not restricted under government's, governor's executive order. You know, do I need document, documentation from my employer deeming me essential? No. Do I need a special placard on my car when I go to work or drive? No. You know? Will I be pulled over for driving on the highway? No. <laughs> yeah. Are the state lines closed? Are there roadblocks? No. <laughs> it's you know it's just surprising me that they actually have to answer those questions. You know, are the rest areas open? Yes, unless they are tied to a park that had to be closed. Right. You know, so obviously the rest area that's combined with Multnomah Falls might be closed. <laughs> Well, and there was also some confusion about uh, if your business is not listed on that list that the governor put out, you can operate, but you must designate an employee or an officer to, and I'm quoting, establish, implement, and enforce social distancing policy consistent with the guidelines of the Oregon Health Authority. Yep. And guess who's that officer for my wife's business? Uh, don't tell me. Um, <laughs> is he tall? <laughs> You got a big nose? <laughs> Bo's nose, yes, is the officer for EB Design and Publication, Inc., doing <laughs> business as Needlepoint now. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, and the EB in that is Elizabeth Bozovich. It is her company. Yes, I am married to a strong, intelligent woman of business. And, and Robin's met her. <laughs> She knows that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so some of this stuff, I mean, I think it, some of it's being bl- um, overblown, and I mean, it's good precautions um, for what they're for what they're doing and they're asking for. I mean, even Albertsons has a pad you have to stand on on checkout to maintain the distances. So it's reasonable precaution, but I think it's too easy to to read too much into it at this point, and. What, what we're trying to do at this point, because we can't test everybody, we have extremely limited testing capability uh, in this country and, and, and this state. It's, it's one of the frustrating parts is everybody's contacting me. Why aren't we doing more testing? Why aren't we setting up drive-in testing like they did in Douglas County? It's like, because there's almost no point. You know, if we set up the drive-in testing, there's going to be an expectation that people are going to be able to actually get a test taken uh, done on their sample and, and get some results in some reasonable amount of time. Just the capacity is not there. It, it's amazingly how small the capacity is for this state. Um, and 
in trying to ramp that up, the supply chain to get everything together to do a test that is considered definitive and, and clinical results rather than just um, what they call indi in, just indicator results versus clinical versus indicator. Um, a lot of that supply chain is coming out of China and Korea. And just the, the, the backlogs of orders and the number of orders for some of the equipment, just, you know, they have to take this sample from the way back of your nasal passage off of your nasal pharynx, which is basically where your, you know, your, your throat and your, and your nasal cavity meet yeah. five inches back <laughs> into your head from your nostril. They have these flexible, you know, Q-tip sort of thingies um, that, that that have to be sterile. So they have to come individually packaged and um, they have to reach way back through your nose to get that swab sample because this doesn't live in your, in your nose. That's why you don't get a runny nose with it. it. It starts out in your throat. So they have to get a sample from your throat basically to get enough of the virus to be able to grow it and get it a definitive test. Those sample swabs are one of the items that are so backordered and come from outside of this country right now. So one of the things that's probably going to happen is there's going to be folks that are going to set up and start manufacturing that stuff here, but that's going to take time. And, and resolving some of these supply chain issues and getting testing more widespread in this country is going to take some time. So, you know, that's why we're not setting up drive up testing because it, it leads to an expectation of results and, and, and more than we can do. And if it's not done well, there have been near riots in some of these drive-up lines. People lining up the day before and staying in their cars overnight, you know, thinking they're going to get a test. Um, it, it's, it's just, yeah, what Douglas County has done is they've been running some pilots where they actually have, they send people to it they don't have it open to the public. It's not the public just driving up to that drive-through. It's people that have been pre-identified and approved and then are sent there. So, um, it, you know, so it's not just that every, everyone can drive up and get a test. That, and if you get tested and come back as negative, what's to say 24 hours later you haven't been exposed by from somebody that, that didn't get a test? So until we have pretty widespread testing, we're going to have to do things that are going to flatten the curve. And that's why we're asking for people to stay home. That's why we're asking for people to wash their hands, try not to touch your face, which for me is near impossible. I think I've watched myself touch my face three times during the show. Um, we're going to play it back and count it. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, it's not. And, and now that I'm doing a lot of video meetings, people are noticing how much I touch my face. <laughs> yeah. But I will say that I haven't left my house. I haven't touched anything that, I, that isn't in my own property. I wash my hands, you know, probably, you know, 10 times a day now, you know, about once an hour, it seems like, especially if I've touched anything that anyone else has touched. So I, I, I'm being really pretty diligent. Um, well, you know, if, if this thing continues now, this is going to sound like sarcastic, but maybe <laughs> – it might not be a bad idea. Do you remember an old TV show called Logan's Run? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, where they had the thing on, on their palm, it turns red if, after they reached a certain age. Now, I could see you with a sticker on your forehead that uh, yeah. turned a certain color. Now, I don't want to – don't get any ideas. But 
Yeah, yeah. But then people will start figuring out how to how to how to uh, hack that that sticker on your forehead. Yeah. So it doesn't turn color. Yeah. yeah. Don't go out in the sun. You never get into a store. <laughs> <laughs> Don't wear a hat. Yeah. Hat. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. So yeah, that's that's uh, you know, it's going to be in, it it's going to be very interesting to see how this all plays out. All I can say is people just need to kind of, you know, have some compassion for folks that aren't where you are in the in the uh, stages of grief. Yeah, and be thankful that the uh, temperature testing is oral and not. <laughs> oh, you had to go there, Robin. Uh, and on that note, no. <laughs> yeah. Um, by the way, uh, I want to give a kind of a special thanks to uh, to Margaret Tyson for for coming on. And uh, uh, people want to help out Pearl Buck, which is also where I work. <laughs> but uh, it's a really good good uh, nonprofit that and, and others. And they can go to PearlBuckCenter.com if they want to help out. And anything anything helps at this time. Yeah, yeah. And you know, it's really um, you know all. Of- you know, some of the people don't like some charities because they feel like some people have made poor life choices. Everybody that Pearl Buck serves has no choice in in their situation. You know, they're you know born that way basically. So, um, really good place to support. There's no reason not to support Pearl, Pearl Buck. Um, they serve a really vulnerable um, part of our population, uh, and you know they're going through some tough times uh and they were going through tough times anyway with some changes in state law around closed workshops which i've talked about before i think they state law has gone too far in that that side of things and uh now they're going through some really tough times and that even the mainstreaming has been almost curtailed for them it's difficult for them to have their folks out um you know working in in the mainstream population right now, they're being sent home. So these folks are now home and, you know, it's, it's unlike, you know, these are adults, you know, usually still living with parents a lot of times. Um, and so, you know, a lot of the exceptions I know as I'm, I'm, it's now coming to mind, uh, this memorandum of understanding we just signed with a, a union for homes for good talks about allowing people, to stay home if their kids are home, you know, for to provide childcare and how the leaves handled for that. Doesn't even mention, you know, somebody else that gets sent home that would normally get, you know, 40 hours a week of of work through the Pearl Buck folks. You know. Yeah. So I I you know we don't specifically address that, but I'm hoping that our that both the union and, and, and the management are flexible enough that if that is the case, we'll treat it the same as somebody that has a kid that's been sent home from K through 12, you know, because that, that, that's part of the issue. These folks a lot of times have to have supervision 24-7 to some degree. So with that, I think we're going to wrap up the Bose Nose Show here for this week. We'll be back next week. Who knows what's going to change between now and next week as we start adjusting to the new normal that is post-COVID-19 and uh, how we're going to come out of this. 
And I just want to, again, urge people, have some compassion for everybody around you. Reach out and touch somebody. Make that phone call because people are starting to feel isolated. People need help working their way through this. A telephone call is a wonderful way to help somebody get by and, and get, get a little bit of a lift in their day. With that, we'll see you next week. Have a great week, and thank you for listening.